Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is the role of third-party candidates in presidential elections. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio reference library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or who need to get caught up to speed on a particular issue. And I'm joined as usual in studio today by IPI resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And Dr. Matthews, today we wanted to talk about the role of third-party candidates in presidential elections. Yes, it's become a big issue again. And the issue arises right now because as we're looking, as we're moving into the 2024 presidential election, it's entirely possible that we could see a rematch between Donald Trump and President Joe Biden for the presidency. In fact, right now, you'd have to say that that is the likely that's, that's outcome. probably yeah. the likely outcome right now. A lot of things can change. Sure. Um, but it's it's interesting. And the, the what's really interesting about this is when, when you poll, when pollsters go out and, t- and check with the public, almost no one wants a rematch <laughs> between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. They are they they're very they can be popular within a small group of people. Donald Trump especially very popular with a small group. Joe Biden at least to some extent, but nobody really wants that rematch. And yet we could end up coming back to have this rematch because the first of all the power of incumbency is so powerful for right. Biden, and for a lot of Trump's voters, some a weird kind of power of the incumbency applies too because they think he won the last election. They, they think he won the last election, and he's <laughs> he's back for he's back for more. Right. So it's it's a very strange mix, and we don't know how this is all going to pan out. But it has it has engendered enough uh, concern that some groups are coming up and saying maybe we need a third party candidate, somebody that would be uh, popular with. Republicans, Democrats, and independents especially. Now, we should mention that we have third parties in the country already that sort of already have ballot access. Right. So you've got like... Typically, the Libertarian, libertarian and Green Party, Party and the Green Party, right. ...tend to be on most states. Yeah. And they, they oftentimes run a candidate, and they usually get a small percentage of votes. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a little larger. So you have that... Uh, you have the third-party candidates. They don't typically make a big difference. But what we're going to talk about now is some of the third-party candidates, oh, since the beginning of the 1900s, that really did make a difference and uh, created changes in the vote. Because there's concern that if, right now, if one of the groups, No Labels, calls itself No Labels, mm-hmm. they, they've met here recently, they're considering putting up a Republican, well, a, a presidential candidate and vice presidential candidate. They're looking at moderates in Republican and Democratic. So Senator Joe Manchin among the Democrats mm-hmm. is one they've considered. Uh, they've, I think they may have mentioned uh, Mitt Romney. He wasn't going to do that, but they may look for, oh, uh, another moderate. Well, like John about. Huntsman, like no labels. They just did an event, I think, a week ago. Mm-hmm. And the two featured people were Senator Joe Manchin and former senator and former ambassador John Huntsman. Right. Two, two people who are by reputation moderates, a moderate Democrat and a moderate Republican. 
Right. And so they're looking at doing something like that. That has Democrats especially concerned that if a third party candidate like that were to run, that person would likely draw Democratic votes or independent votes that would then end up costing Joe Biden the election and Donald Trump would win. So that's the concern they have. And besides besides no labels, there's Cornell West. He's a uh, progressive uh, professor, and he's considering a run uh, with the Green Party because he's an African-American. The concern is he might draw off some of the African-American vote, which, again, might cost Biden the election. Yep. So third parties can play a role and can actually be a decider, not for the third party to win, but it can they can create enough momentum again for another candidate that it— takes a less favorable candidate, and that person ends up winning. So the term that we often hear about third parties is spoiler. Yes. Right? That they're not going to win, but they can spoil it for somebody else. So we'll talk about just some of the eight of the major third-party candidates that have appeared since 1900. And the first one was 1912, and that was Teddy Roosevelt. He had been a uh, president. He had, uh, I think William McKinley had died in office. He finished that term, ran again, and won that. Then he was out in 1909, but he came back in 1912 to run for president again. They already had, the Republicans had William Howard Taft that, as their presidential candidate. And, uh, but uh, he did not think, uh, Roosevelt did not think Taft was moving progressive enough for him. And then there was Woodrow Wilson for the Democratic side. And so because Teddy Roosevelt had been so uh, popular at one point, he ended up drawing a number of votes, which ended up putting Woodrow Wilson in, uh, in the office. And there's so this is always going to be of interest to me as a fan of science fiction, because you've always got this sort of like alternative history kind of angle mm-hmm. here, right? Because the, the Republicans still look back on the election of 1912 right. as an election that Taft would have won if it weren't for the Bull Moose Party. It, whether they're right or wrong, that's the way they view that's it. That's the way they think. And most people on the center-right believe Woodrow Wilson to have been one of the worst presidents in American history. Mm-hmm. So there's an argument here that the third party in the 1912 election helped to elect Woodrow Wilson, one of the worst presidents in American history, an overt racist. Yes, who resegregated literally the White House staff. And an academic. He had been a governor yes, right. and a professor at Princeton. So it, it, it's, it was an interesting mix, but it put Woodrow Wilson in, and Woodrow Wilson had uh, argued not to take us into World War I. He eventually took us in there. But one other person that was on that uh, list was the socialist Eugene V. Debs. Mm-hmm. And... Even though he ran for president for five different times on the social, as the Socialist Party candidate, uh, he never made much of a difference, but he was there a lot. And anybody who sort of looks at history, because there was a socialist movement in America, especially in the early, um, early 1900s on up to the middle of the century, it, uh, his name pops up and he did have uh, some influence. The next one we'll look at is Robert La Follette. His name pops up often. He's with the Progressive Party. He's somewhat different than um, Teddy Roosevelt. But he won 16% of the popular vote in 1924. He, was, uh, he beat out the Democratic candidate in many states. But Calvin Coolidge at that time was running uh, as re-election as president. Mm-hmm. And he, Calvin Coolidge was the pub, Republican, Silent Cal, they called him. 
but a very, very good president that the public liked. And so Calvin Coolidge ran hand, won handily. But still, the Progressive Party got 16% of the popular vote. That's not nothing. So the 1924 election is like almost the inverse of the 1912 election, mm-hmm. where the third party candidate helped the Republican win, pulled votes away from the Democrat. Um, and so, again, you know, sort of from, from our standpoint at the Institute for Policy Innovation <laughs> as a center-right group, you know, we would view the 1912 election as a disaster because yeah. it put Wilson in place, but the, the 1924 election as a wonderful thing because it put Silent Cal in place. Calvin, Calvin Coolidge won easily. Yep. Then in 1948, Strom Thurmond. Now, our listeners will probably remember Strom Thurmond because it hasn't been that long since he was in I remember Strom. Strom Thurmond was a senator from South Carolina while I lived in South Carolina. Had been a governor in South Carolina at one point. Uh, in 1948, he did not like what the, he wanted to uh, sort of expand segregationist policies. He thought Democrats were not doing that, especially with Harry Truman. And so he changed and dropped out from being a Democrat and became a Dixiecrat, new party he created, and uh, ran on a, a sort of a segregationist policy. He won 2.4% of the popular vote, and he got a 39 electoral votes. So he did have some difference there, but because he was in there... Uh, it ended up that Harry Truman did win the election, but by and large, people didn't think that would be the case. That was a surprise election for Harry Truman winning that. So this is um, so this Dixiecrat Party was resisting the move toward civil rights right. that the Democratic Party had embraced. It started embracing to some extent, not yeah. as much as it would later, but sure. to some extent. Okay. Then in 1968. Still talking about segregationist policies here. George Wallace, American Independent Party. He ran on a segregationist platform. And even though he was pushing that hard, he still won 13.5% of the popular vote, 46 electoral votes. So there, and that was uh, from the deep South states. But he did, uh, he, he, had a, he had an impact there. When you think about how close the Electoral College margin has been, the last few presidential elections we've had here, mm-hmm. Um, 39 electoral votes in 1948, 46 electoral votes in 1968. That's enough to change an election. Yes, it is. It is. Then in 1980, John Anderson, an independent. He didn't. He had been a Republican, but he had been moving left and included supporting abortion and other things. And because of that, he did not win the Republican nomination. That went to Ronald Reagan. Uh, so John Anderson decided to run as an independent and... Uh, the question was whether or not he drew from Reagan or from Jimmy Carter, uh, but Jimmy Carter had a very poor showing in that, and um, the uh, Anderson still won seven percent of the popular vote. wasn't a lot, but he did win some part of it. So Anderson likely drew votes from Republicans, but yet Reagan's margin was so big that it didn't matter. Yeah, I think that was probably the correct. Okay. Even though he had been moving to the left, it may have drawn some from Jimmy Carter, but of course Jimmy Carter was running as a as, as a moderate Democrat, if not conservative Democrat. Why do I have in my mind that John Anderson ran on something called the American Party? Is that what that was called? I think he was just an independent. Okay. I, I, I may be wrong, but I think he was just an independent. Okay. Then in 1992 and in 1996, our listeners will remember Ross Perot. Those of you who've been around just a little while, he ran twice, and he was a real factor. Um, you had in 1992, you had George Herbert Walker Bush running for his second term, and uh, you had Bill Clinton running as well. 
And uh, Ross Perot did not really like either one of them. And the interesting thing is the parallels between Ross Perot and Donald Trump. Yeah. Independent, wealthy businessmen had never won an election for anything before. Sort of took a populist tone out there. America first. Went, went very directly, common. Went directly to the public. Yep. Generally anti-trade mm-hmm. and so forth. So mm-hmm. they, they had a lot of common elements there. And... Ross Perot really struck a note with a lot of people. He ended up winning in 1992, 19% of the vote. And what that meant was that Bill Clinton won only 43% of the popular vote and George Bush won 37.5%. So Clinton ended up winning quite well with the electoral votes, but he never, he never got, in fact, neither one of Clinton's races, did he ever win a popular, uh, win the yeah. popular vote? No, I was literally going to say, and, and you're getting ready to talk about 1996 when Clinton also won, but this is why Clinton's legacy is, while perceived as a very successful president yeah. in a lot of ways, never got a majority of the popular vote. Never, and, and when he came into office in early 1993, they, he and Hillary Clinton claimed they had a mandate from the public mm-hmm. to do changes like the Clinton health care reform and so forth. But in fact, they never had a mandate with 43 percent of the vote. You know, it sounds awfully familiar, a, a Democrat president coming into office who barely wins office, but yet thinks somehow they have this huge sweeping mandate. Indeed. I don't know why that seems so familiar. So people still argue to this day about the 92 election. Right. And and that is still a question because you had that 19%. What would they have done if, they, if there had not been a Ross Perot? Yeah. I have seen exit polls that said roughly um, about uh, 39, 40% would have voted for um, Clinton. And the other 39, 40% would have voted for uh, Bush. And the rest said they wouldn't have gone to the polls at all. And it's probably true that pulled out some people to vote who would not have voted. I have to I have to interject here that I literally attended Ross Perot's big convention in Dallas. I did too. I spoke at it. You spoke at I it? I spoke at it. Well, you, we didn't even know each other yeah, then. I was asked to speak on health care. Well, I I attended. and Not because I was a member of the convention. No, no, but no. I, was no, just no, asked I totally to understand. Speak. Totally understand. No, I didn't know that about you. That's yep. great. And I always viewed the folks who were enthusiastic about Ross Perot mm-hmm. to almost be like a foreshadowing of the Tea Party. Yeah. And for right. that reason, having having been there, having moved among them, having talked to them, I have always believed that Perot took more votes away from Bush than he did Clinton. Now, I know that there are people who will argue the opposite. And, but I, I, in my mind, I've always believed that somewhere between 50 and 60 percent of Perot voters would have either not voted at all or would have voted for Bush. And even if that were the case, because the spread was 43% for Clinton, 37.5% for Bush, yeah. even if you gave them uh, half of the votes or something, I'm not sure. And and if, if you gave them half the votes and the other half went to Clinton, or if you gave uh, Bush 60, 65%, that still probably would not mm. have made up the difference. Because remember, Bush had run on, a, on uh, read my lips, no new taxes. right. right. And you still you were in a you were in a, a recession at the time that was we were coming out of the recession so there were issues that affected Bush. You yes you had angry Republicans who felt like he had broken his commitment, and you also had the feeling that he was completely out of touch. And there was mm-hmm. that infamous thing where he went shopping in a grocery store and he had never seen a grocery scanner before and all that sort of thing. So yeah, it, it's entirely possible that that would still not have made a difference, but I've always believed that it would have. 
1996, you have Clinton running for re-election, Bob Dole running as a Republican, and Ross Perot's back in the in the uh, race again. He only draws 8.4% this time. So that's less than half of what he drew in 92. Right. Yeah, less than half. Uh, and Dole only got a little over 40%, whereas Clinton got uh, less than 50, but pretty close to 50%. So mm-hmm. um, you didn't, it, that pro, Perot probably did not make a difference in that election, but it would have been, um, uh, it, it would have been, he, he definitely had a uh, impact, but he had been, he had been on the decline for the last few years because of conspiracy theories and other things that he was coming up yeah, with. Yeah, it, it's, uh, there's an argument that Perot made a significant difference in 92. There's really no argument that he made a significant difference in 96. Yeah, I think that's right. And so then we come to the election of 2000 where Pat Buchanan, conservatives will remember that name. He had, he ran as the Reform Party candidate. And uh, then you had Ralph Nader as the Green Party candidate. And so both of them drew some votes. But interestingly, uh, that that election was decided for George W. Bush based upon Florida. Mm -hmm. George W. Bush won won by 537 votes in Florida in the 2000 election. Nader drew 97,488 votes in Florida in that election. If some of those people had go, had voted other than Nader, almost all of my suspect would have voted for Al Gore. It would have had to have been eighty five percent of Nader voters would have voted for the Democrat. And so that ultimately ended up giving uh, George Bush the election because of Nader being in there. Arguably, even though Demo- some Democrats think he <laughs> yeah. Gore still won. So this, so the election of two thousand. In this list, you've been going through the election of two thousand. It's one of only maybe like two or three elections where it was really clear that the third party candidate had a significant impact on the outcome. And now we'll go to the last one, the 2016 election. And that's where, you know, what ended up happening there is that uh, Donald Trump won Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Michigan, which were Democrats usually always won in the presidential elections, even though they could they could elect a lot of Republicans. As far as voting Democrat, those three states always voted Democrats had for decades. Mm -hmm. Um, So what happens, uh, Donald Trump wins those by very slim margins in those states. Uh, In Pennsylvania, he had 47,000 vote margin, Michigan 10,000 vote, and Wisconsin 22,000 vote uh, margin in in 2016. Um, Gary Johnson was running as a libertarian candidate. He won a total of 3.3% vote of the vote nationwide, but he won a number of votes in those states. But even more important, because you don't, with, with uh, Gary Johnson being a libertarian candidate, would those people have voted for uh, Trump or for Hillary Clinton? Uh, you know, yeah. Gary Johnson was running as a somewhat fiscal conservative with a liberal social policy. Yeah. So there's but, really no way to know no way to know who those people would have voted for. But right? what did happen is Jill Stein ran for the Green Party and she ended up in each of those states, her vote marg her, her vote was more than the margin that Trump won by. So if those if Jill by if Jill Stein had not been in the um in that election, and those people were almost 90, 95% would yep. have voted for Hillary Clinton. She would have won those three states and would have won the election. So, th- so this is why Democrats are mad to this day right. about Jill Stein, because they blame Jill Stein for Donald Trump. They, they're mad at her that, that, and they've seen the right handwriting on the wall. 
if you get another third party coming in in 2024, a popular third party, it might very well give Donald Trump the election again. So don't you think it's likely that the reason Democrats are so worried right now about the no labels effort is that they've still got a bitter taste in their mouths from 2016. They've Because there's really no question right. that it was the third party that cost them that election. Yeah, but I think it's, I think it's absolutely true. And they, they are upset with that because it gave them Donald Trump and didn't get Hillary. They wanted to have their first female yep, president. Exactly. And that, lo- that cost her the opportunity. Now, you could also argue that Democrats maybe should not have nominated one of the least liked uh, politicians in America. <laughs> Probably the reason some left-leaning voters voted for Jill Stein is that they just couldn't stand Hillary Clinton. Uh, but still, I mean, this is a clear case just based on the on the overwhelming weight of the math that it was Jill Stein who allowed Donald Trump to win a skin of the teeth election. And you mentioned it may have been Democrats' fault for elect, for nominating one of the least liked politicians in the country. We may do that again with two politicians in yep. 2024. Yep, which is again, which is why the idea of a third party in the 2024 election having a spoiler role for someone mm-hmm. is a very, very real possibility, right. particularly when you consider that the last several presidential elections in the U.S. have been by such a narrow majority. Right. It would be very unlikely that a third party would win, but if they won enough uh, electoral votes, you might be able to force some kind of runoff because no, somebody might not have gotten to 270 electoral votes. So in other words... Um, Wrapping up, don't underestimate the ability of a th- of a third party effort to really screw things up for one of the two parties. Exactly. Well, we appreciate you joining us today for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about going to our website at ipi.org and signing up so that you get notices about upcoming content, upcoming podcast episodes, and upcoming events. You could also give us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. And you can help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.